Hey everyone, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. In this episode, we're a time bomb. My friend Colleen, who you may remember from the Captain Marvel episode, joins me again as we discuss the evolution of the team in 2012's The Avengers. Colleen shares an interesting perspective as a relative newcomer to the MCU. Please note, in addition to spoilers for The Avengers, this episode does contain spoilers for some plot points and character arcs in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you want to avoid those spoilers for Buffy, you can just skip over this section toward the end of the episode in which we talk about which Buffy the Vampire Slayer character is most similar to each Avenger. Enjoy the episode. I am TK of New York, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day, and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. So today we're kicking off season two of the podcast with our first return guest. It's Colleen Harwood. Colleen, how are you today? I'm great. And I I had no idea this was going to be the first episode. Wow. It is. Oh, my God. Yes, this is the first ensemble film mm-hmm. of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, The Avengers. Mm. And we're going to talk about it today. So perhaps our listeners have heard your previous appearance on the show on our Captain Marvel episode. Um, and I should hope so. I, I should hope so as well because it was it was fantastic and it was um, great. Perhaps they've even seen you on Instagram. Maybe. Yeah, your yeah. hair is looking great still. Thank you. So uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to since last we spoke on a microphone together? Oh, since we did Captain Marvel like two months ago, month and a half ago. I have been rewatching Buffy. You know, I've been making my way through a Buffy rewatch. I'm towards the end of season five at the moment. Um, I've also, you know, just been kind of hanging out with my dog. That's right, oh, Becky. She's here today. She is here today. You might hear her jingle or bark. Who knows? Um, and besides that, you know, just kind of hanging out, watching TV. I watched this Avengers movie. Yeah. You know? And, you know, thank you for doing so. Thank you for returning to the podcast for this episode on the Avengers. And this this is now your second Marvel Cinematic Universe movie that yep. you've watched all the way through. Mm-hmm. And um, I, again, have some very specific reasons in mind as to why I asked you to be on this episode. Perhaps an interesting choice, given that you hadn't seen all of the solo movies that led up to it. But I think, much like my inaugural episode for season one, it featured someone who hadn't seen Iron Man. Mm-hmm. I like this idea of featuring someone who hadn't seen the Avengers so that you can bring in that perspective of um, seeing the characters operate as a group. Right. And I don't have fu- knowledge of the future movies either. You know, That's to right. Color that. That's right. So what did you think of it? So I watched it twice. And the first time, I liked it better the second time. I'll say that. That's, the, that's right. That the, makes sense. Yeah, you know, the first time there was a lot of like, I don't know what's going on, especially because I didn't know the characters. Right. Um, so it was a little confusing, but entertaining. 
And I think also the first time I was like, oh my God, roll my eyes, action movie. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I felt less of that the second time. Sure. I, I liked it. I, think, I thought it was pretty good. So I, I love this movie. I really do. Um, in fact, this was my, my number one MCU movie for, for quite some time. It's a very rewatchable movie for me because I, like you, am a big fan of TV and have gone through periods of primarily watching TV shows as opposed to movies. And I think I like that ensemble cast vibe. And I want to talk a little bit more about that later as it pertains to this movie. And th this season in the podcast, I'm going to be talking about a lot of ensemble movies. And some of them were very, very ambitious and complex and even quite dark. And they're wonderful movies, um, but they're not necessarily as easy to rewatch, at least for me. So there's something comforting about this first Avengers movie because as ambitious as it seemed at the time, watching it now, knowing what comes later, it really kind of feels like a, a simple start to the, the story of the Avengers team um, as opposed to their, their solo stories. So The Avengers was released in 2012. It was written and directed by Joss Whedon, who previously had only directed one feature film, Serenity, which was the follow-up to the short-lived show Firefly. Have you seen Firefly? I can't remember. If no, about I have this. never seen Firefly. Actually, it's it's definitely worth it. Yeah, um, I would recommend it. And um, I had been a fan of Firefly and Serenity, um, not to the level that I was a fan of Buffy. But um, for me, Joss Whedon was very much a person who, for a certain amount of time, if if his name was attached to something, I was super excited about it. and I was going to go see it, and um, so I was really excited for this movie. This movie, when it came out, broke the record for the largest opening weekend ever in the United States, and at the time, it ranked behind Avatar and Titanic as the third biggest film of all time. It was the first of the MCU movies, though certainly not the last, to break records and really act as an event and not just a movie. An adventure. And a <laughs> An adventure. We also just had our, our first mention of Titanic on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe not the last. <clears throat> because of the success of the Avengers, the ground was laid for the MCU to become what it is today. This was the sixth movie, the last one in phase one of the MCU. As of today, September 2020, there have been 23 movies released. Black Widow will be the 24th. There are seven more solidly planned for after that, and also a slate of TV shows in development by Marvel Studios for Disney+. There have also been a number of television shows that were tangentially related to the universe over the past eight years, including Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was also co-developed by Joss Whedon. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's right. And speaking about this movie, The Avengers, Joss Whedon said this, quote, People think it's all about the mission, but it's all about the team, really. When you do a film like this, you have to make sure each character matters as much as the others, but in a different way. That was something that was really important to me, making sure everyone mattered. All right. Mm. So let's think about that and let's see what matters to us as we discuss the Avengers today. All right. So I think that there are a few things that I am hoping to discuss. So specifically, I, I think it makes sense to kind of start with who is this team? Who are the members of this team? What did we learn about them? Mm -hmm. um, 
in this movie and especially for you as this, you didn't have much outside knowledge to color your impression of the characters. How do you get an impression of them being introduced to them in this movie? And then we'll kind of move on to who they are as a, as a team and how those things relate. So it is kind of handy in this movie that you, the characters are introduced individually yes. and come together as a team a little bit later. But I think in some ways I didn't get a total good sense of their characters until they were with the team and how they were interacting with each other. So the first one we get is Natasha, who's um, being interrogated by Russians for something. And you quickly figure out that she's not actually the one being interrogated. Um, She is doing her reverse interrogation, um, which was, which was cool. So you got a sense that Natasha is, um, you know, a badass. That's right. And, um, you know, kind of uses the things that people will assume about her against them. Um, which is cool. That's a cool character trait. Um, so then we get... I also just realized that we, I guess we did sort of skip over Clint. <laughs> because <laughs> technically... <laughs> technically, right. he is the first... But, like, nothing happens with him. Right. We don't get a sense of his character. Right. Be- all all we mean, know is he's working for I guess Shield. technically the first one's Fury. but like, That's true, too. But, like, he's That's not an too. Avenger. Right. If we're going to go by the six right. Avengers, All right, so I'll technically s- we see Clint first. All right, I'll start over. No, don't start over. I, I just um, want to know what was your impression there. Um, did you get anything from his character from the first scene? From Clint? No. And honestly, I, like, I didn't realize that he was supposed to be an Avenger or eventually would become one. I thought it was just like some random dude who worked at S.H.I.E.L.D., Yes. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes. If you were um, not familiar with, like, the poster of the movie, or, right. or even if you were, he's dressed as differently at first, so... Yeah, that's true. Um, so you he wouldn't necessarily know. He doesn't put his leather daddy costume on until a little later. <laughs> no. uh. um, I had one one note on the introduction of Clint, mm. is what what Loki says to him when he puts the scepter up to him and starts, you know, mind-controlling him. He says... You have heart. Mm. And I'm going to come back to that later. And then the other thing I have about Natasha is that she is concerned about Clint. Yes, she is concerned about Clint. And I guess the one other thing I'll say about Clint is that you do see him taking the role of like being a like overseer type person right at the beginning because he's like on the... He's like on like a balcony that's like right. looking... I guess that's like one of his character traits is that he like... <laughs> Looks, the looks down from high places. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do refer to him as the hawk. I notice in all the intro scenes, they they slip in their their Avenger name, their superhero name, huh. or a, kind of a version of it. Huh. Um, they refer to him as the hawk, and um, the yeah the, the person who is interrogating Natasha um, it, in the translation it says Black Widow. Like, right, I did notice that. Yeah. That's how I knew who it was. Right. So then. Uh, I believe is the next one when Natasha goes to get Bruce. Um, and that was, that was a good one. You know, you, you do see how Bruce and the Hulk is a more like, I think widely culturally known character. Like I know what the, I don't really know what Black Widow or Hawkeye's deal is, but I know what the Hulk is. Right. So getting introduced to Bruce like that, and you can see he's, um, you know, very soft spoken. He's trying to, avoid the Hulk at all costs. Off the bat, I liked Bruce. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's 
he's a doctor, he's in Calcutta trying to help people. Um, so he's, you know, taking his situation where he's trying to not get stressed or angry and kind of channeling it to something good, which is, you know, it's nice. It's It's nice, nice. Bruce. Um, and you can see in the interaction at the beginning between Natasha and Bruce, I don't know if it seems like they've never met. No, but she's heard of him. Yeah, Yeah. but they do seem to almost like right away have a rapport and he kind of seems to get what her deal is. Yes. He's the smart guy. Yeah, I I too. And I I have always been a fan of Mark Ruffalo. And I think that the way that he plays the character, um, I appreciate a lot because I I know that you haven't seen, many people have seen the Incredible Hulk movie um, that was his solo entry into the MCU but feels almost not quite as canonical anymore because he was played by Edward Norton. He's a very, very different actor. Yeah. And also a very good actor, but it's a very different approach. And there's something about Ruffalo's like soft-spokenness. Yeah, and his like, almost like, I'm not gonna say oafishness, but he has this just, like way that he stands and yeah. so, you know, he's just like. Yes, the way he carries himself as mm-hmm. Banner is very different. Um, and yeah. I think make, makes uh, the character more likable, intriguing, a few mm-hmm. things. I think that's Becky. That's, yeah, that's just jingling around. Um, jingling. Um, the other thing that I, I was looking for this time around, too, when I was watching the, um, the solo intros, um, and one of the things that I was looking for this time is, like, what we're learning about the other characters as they start to interact a little bit more. So this is the Bruce scene, but we get that one detail about Natasha, in which um, he asks about the little girl and was like, oh, you know, is she a spy too? The little girl who tricked him into following her. Something to the effect of, do they start that young? And she just says, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Which reminds me, I know you've never seen Game of Thrones, but there's a, a character who's a spy who enlists like little kids to oh, um, wow. like, you know, listen to things because no one pays attention to them and report back to him. Wow. Little birds. Um, so then right after we hear the line, no, it's won by soldiers, cut to Captain America. Yeah. Um, so that's our introduction to Captain America. And I didn't know, all I know about Captain America, like apart from this, was that, you know, he's like a Nazi fighter. Right. And like the character was created, I think during World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to as like a propaganda Nazi fighter figure. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so when we first meet Captain America, he's in a gym with a bunch of punching bags. Because he's like, I don't know, did he like break the first one? I don't know how you break a punching bag. Well, he's very, very strong. All right, fine. <laughs> so so he breaks a punching bag and replaces it with another one. And um, one thing I, I thought was interesting is that they we have a different S.H.I.E.L.D. agent introducing us to each character Mm -hmm. so like natasha gets us bruce fury gets us steve and then colson gets us tony and i think that who gets each character also is interesting and kind of you know speaks to something so Mm. so the first time we meet steve i assume it's late at night because fury walks in and says couldn't sleep Mm. um so he's just up late punching punching bags a little bit similar to um carol in Captain Marvel, right? Like, she can't sleep, so she goes to train. Yeah. Yeah, when you said Carol, I thought you meant the movie Carol. <laughs> and I was like, what After did she After all the time we spent talking about Carol Danvers, and you <laughs> the, still... The name still makes me think Kate Blanchett. Yeah, I I see a lot of connections, actually, between Steve and Carol in their stories. Yeah, I could see that, too, because they both... 
and I kind of was thinking about that with Steve in this movie because we talked a lot about like military stuff right. in the Captain Marvel episode and obviously a lot of that. Yeah, so I mean, you, the first sense you get of Steve is that he is a soldier. You know, he's he almost seems like a little like he has a little PTSD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, has some has some issues. But is still but is still very much like at his core a soldier. I think you can yeah. see that that's clear. But you do get there was one line that he said, um, you know, I woke up and they say we won. They didn't say what we lost. And mm-hmm. I think that gives a little bit of um as you said, a little insight into how he does feel torn about things yeah. as much as he's going to go ahead and follow orders. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you see you see that start to come out a little more later in the movie. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and then in another very Joss Whedon transition, he says about the Tesseract mm-hmm. should have left it in the ocean, cut to the underwater Iron Man. Yeah. And also he's like playing with some, his self-sustaining energy source and mm-hmm. the Tesseract is right. itself an energy source too. So yeah, quite the parallel, Joss. Love it. That's how we meet Tony in his suit underwater making... I think he's, oh, he's cutting Stark Tower off from, like, the energy grid, right? Is that what he's yes. doing? Yeah. And then he flies up to Stark Tower, which is fully lit mm-hmm. of its own accord with his name at the top. And then um, you see his cool technology mm-hmm. as it undresses him, mm-hmm. um, which, like, I was like, really, bro? You can't just take your own suit off. Like, it has to, <laughs> you have to, like, not even stop walking. It feels like such a billionaire thing to do. Like, my time is too valuable to stop walking to get undressed. So I need to build something to do it for me. I know. It's so annoying, but also, like, I would love it. I wouldn't. I mean, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. It seems weird. Like, it feels like a lot could go wrong. But I think that is, like, a first look at his character. Um, And he also says the line, um, it's like Christmas, but more me. Mm. And I just kind of liked that because I... You know, he's, I have mixed feelings on Tony Stark, but I feel like the line, it's like Christmas, but more me, uh, sounds like something I would like to say. <laughs> it does kind of sound like something you would say. And I also have mixed feelings on Tony Stark because he, like he, like that, he's just like this asshole billionaire. Can I say asshole? That's fine. Okay. Um, in so many ways, like, I'm like, God, I hate this guy. But then in some ways he's, he's, he's a little charming and he's not that bad. It's like a little douchey, but... Yeah. Uh, There are other movies that come later in which you can make arguments for him being um, not quite morally responsible. Mm -hmm. And um, there are are some people who don't really think that he's ever quite redeemed for the the ills of his past. Mm -hmm. But from what you see in this movie, I I agree with you completely. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he's I think he's great in this movie. And that doesn't Great character doesn't mean I always agree with everything they do, but I think he's a great character in the movie. Right. And I don't know if we're going to get to this later or not, but I think part of like the, the selfless and like good things he does in this movie are almost like driven by Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I completely agree. And I think that's a thread that comes up in, in other movies too. Mm. And I, I feel uh, uh, a sense of validation that you notice that just from, from this one. Yeah. Um, Cool. Cool. Uh, So what do you think of his interaction with Pepper? It's like so gross and annoying uh, for the most part. I love it. Uh, (laughs) You know, like, I mean, like some of it just like the, some of it was like so like straight couple tropey 
like in such an annoying way, <laughs> you know, and he's like, I'm going to pay for that 12% comment later, aren't I? Yeah. And she's like, yeah, it's not going to be subtle. But then when she brings it back, though, and she says, like, well, I was having 12% of a moment. Right, yeah. That was good. Yeah, that was good. And especially, like, once Coulson comes in, like, the whole interaction is good. Like, I, I, we didn't see Pepper very much, but I liked no. her. Yeah. I just didn't love, like, the interaction between Tony and Pepper. It was like, they are also a couple that I have mixed feelings on, but I yeah. think that she's so great. And I, the actors are both so good together. They yeah. play off each other so quickly, and I think yeah. that they do a great job. There's a lot of Joss Whedon-y things in here. Like, I mean, Tony Stark's character across all of the movies has, um, you know, the the quickness, the quick mm-hmm. wit, the sassiness. Um, but I feel like something like, his first name is Agent. Oh, yeah. Is very Joss Whedon. I feel like, and I feel like the um, the whole, like, chore- choreographing of, like, the champagne glass and the pamphlet and, like, that all felt very Joss Whedon, too. Yeah, I love that. I don't like yeah. to be handed things. That's fine because I love to be handed things. things. And she, yeah. (laughs) I'm smiling because I really like that. (laughs) Um, We get an important note here that I wasn't sure if um, how much from context clues it was Mm -hmm. clear. So that they referenced the fact that um, when Coulson had previously, Fury and Coulson had previously talked with Tony about the Avengers initiative, there was this whole storyline in Iron Man 2 in which like, Tony was told that he, like, the language that he uses in this movie was not qualified for it mm. because he was, quote, uh, volatile, self-absorbed, doesn't play well with others. And they make that reference there. Um, but, of course, obviously, you know, the, the stakes have been raised now, so right. they want him back in. Mm. And that is very interesting, like, given what he, what comes to happen, especially with Tony. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. All right, so those were our introductions to the characters and then from there the 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 plot starts to um pick up some momentum Mm -hmm. um and we do get scenes of different combinations of them meeting each other so do you want to talk a little bit about some of the relationships that develop among some of the members of the team yeah i think um i kind of already touched on tony and steve yeah um and i think that that's a really interesting combination i agree um, okay, so yeah, when Tony and Steve get together, I think there's a really interesting conflict between Tony's like stark individualism <laughs> Great. and um, Steve's military mindset. You know, Steve is all about, at the beginning anyway, following orders, you know, working for the team, not really questioning anything. And Tony is the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and you especially see it when Tony... Tony like steals all the data from shield about what they're doing and starts questioning what, you know, weapons they're making and stuff like that. And Steve is like aghast that Tony would do something like that. And it's interesting. They, they both wind up kind of taking on each other's characteristics a little bit as the movie goes on. So almost maybe it's right after that Steve like breaks into something and finds the weapon Tony's talking about. Um, later on too, Tony starts being a little more selfless. I mean, at the very end, he even sacrifices, he doesn't actually die, but he sacrifices himself to save the city. And I think that both of their actions are all, all in large part driven by each other. When I think, you know, they, they kind of quibble a lot and they do have those differences, but I think kind of at the end of the day, they're 
similar in some ways because as soon as the like bomb or whatever hits the ship they're on um they they're like arguing when that happens and they immediately drop it and work together to fix it so like you know when it comes to it like they're both immediately gonna try to help yes exactly um yeah that's that's a good bit too um in terms of uh some some juxtaposition and humor that he's um steve is prodding at tony put on the suit put on the suit like Mm -hmm. they're gonna fight right and then it's just like put on the suit yeah (laughs) right um so you're right like when in the face of real danger they're putting the egos aside yes but tony like they need each other to get that done i agree completely yeah and they have different different ways and we start to see um different strengths come out too because while Mm -hmm. tony and bruce are using technology um steve goes and just you know starts poking around in places and looking for things. And, and I, he even says something about how the computer was too slow, right? Like, so mm-hmm. he, you know, when he got in his mind, like, okay, maybe they, there are, is something awry here. He was going to go physically kind of get involved, not right. be behind the computer. Right. And it's just different, different skill sets coming together in the yeah. team. Yeah, for sure. We get the sense that Tony is a little bit more impulsive because um, there's even that part when uh, Thor grabs Loki, they've, captured loki from germany and then thor shows up and you know of course captain america is you know we need a plan of attack and tony's response is i have a plan attack right mm-hmm. and again some fun wordplay there but yeah. it shows their different approaches yes mm-hmm. and even that itself kind of like works in the like military versus individual yeah. dichotomy yeah absolutely you know? um so how about tony and bruce yeah. They're very drawn to each other. They are. Um, they they definitely seem to, like, Im- almost immediately see each other as peers and as equals. You know, they're both, they're both the smart guy. Um, right. And, and in very different ways, though. Right. You know, Tony's like the, Tony's like the, like, really douchey quarterback who, like, also <laughs> happens to be really smart. You know, and then Bruce is just like the regular nerd who's really smart. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. They they definitely have very different personalities, but they also are both used to being the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And instead of that, it's interesting instead of that creating conflict between them, it creates like an immediate kinship kind of, um, especially because they know they have a job to do and they can help each other do it. Yeah, exactly. I th- I thought that was interesting too that they um that it doesn't become an ego thing. Yeah. About who's smarter. Right. It, they immediately um work together. Well. Yeah, and I don't know if that's partially because Bruce isn't that egotistical to begin with. True. You know, Tony is. True. Um but but Bruce d- doesn't really seem to have that streak in him. Um there is a conversation that Tony and Bruce have about where they really reveal a lot of their own selves and insecurities to each other that I think is really interesting. And it's the scene in which um, basically uh, Bruce says the line, I don't get a suit of armor. I'm exposed like a nerve. I want to come back to that in a little bit though, because I think that that scene 
it, it um, speaks to their relationship, but I think it also speaks a little bit more to some of the underlying ideas about Avengers. So mm. I'd, we can come back to that later. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on anything between Natasha and Steve, but that is a friendship that develops later. So I was looking for little hints of it here. Interesting. I didn't... Um, I like barely remember them even talking. He calls her ma'am when they meet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right on the plane. When he, well, yeah, he, yeah. And mm-hmm. he says, uh, there's only one God, ma'am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. <laughs> Again, it's right. very Joss Whedon. Um, yes. But yeah, so I didn't, there, I don't think there was too much. I mean, there, she's, I think, just really good at talking with all of them when yeah. she first meets them. Yeah, I think the most you get of Natasha and Steve is at the end when they're the two, like, kind of on the ground in the battle. Yes. Um, and he gives her, like, the lift off to jump on one of the flying scooters. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, I like seeing them um, interact and how their friendship develops in, mm. in future movies. And then uh, Natasha and Clint, we talked a little bit about already. Yeah, I, I have more about Natasha and Clint. Let's hear it. Um, one thing that kind of gets touched on when Natasha talks to Loki, that yes. there's nothing, there's clearly nothing romantic between Natasha and Clint. And that's something I really appreciate because I think that they could, like, a lot of filmmakers would have done that. Right. Um, it's almost like you can't have a female character without a love interest. Um, so I really appreciated that that was not the case with Natasha and Clint. Um, and they actually, I actually really get like a sibling vibe. Yeah. Like their relationship seems very much like like a brother and sister. I agree. There are shippers out there, but <laughs> but uh, I'm not among them. Yeah. And they they do have um, the trait in common that they don't have superpowers. So in a way, they're a little, it doesn't, doesn't get the sense that they feel like this, but they're a little bit on the outside of the Avengers um, because they, they, all they have is like, I don't know, like really high tech bow and arrow and <laughs> like really awesome manipulation skills. Yeah. And, you know? and training. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that's really sure. it. Yeah. The physical training. Of right. Fighting, and like, but... great. Yeah. And their fight scene with the two of them is awesome. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. Normally I don't really care that much about fight scenes, but that's like, that was a good one. Yeah, I am also not usually as interested in the fight scenes as I am in the character moments, mm-hmm. but there there are some that are just done so well, and I, I enjoyed yeah. that one too. Like Buffy and Faith. Yes. Which one? Like the Buffy and Faith oh, okay, one okay. in the graduation <laughs> day. Of course. Um, Sorry I asked. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. We get insight into more into Natasha and into her friendship with Clint and past with Clint um, mm-hmm. in the conversation with Loki. I love when she says love is for children. <laughs> I owe yeah. him a debt, right? Like it really quickly, right? That's the movie saying like, like no, about- stop it. Like enough. Yeah. Yes. Getting more of that insight into Natasha. I'm seeing that as also giving us an insight into what this community has offered her yeah i think that that's she's maybe more so than anyone else like has a lot to gain from it um yeah 
And I think that, like, because she obviously has a lot of regret and guilt over her past. Um, and being a part of this group pushes her to kind of do something bigger, um, right. do something more active. I guess her background is as a spy, you right. know, gaining intelligence. So to do something a little more active to like actually fight for good, you know, I think that benefits her a lot. Agreed. And she gains also, I think, a sense of, of family because, yeah. and, and we slowly learn some more of her backstory over the course of the MCU films, and we don't fully know it yet because the movie has been delayed. Um, so we haven't seen the Black Widow movie yet that um, is going to show us all of the things that they've been alluding to that we'll actually get to see it. Mm. Um, Loki mentions the name of her father. We'll actually get to see him. Yeah. And so I'm literally looking forward to that. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's actually done very well here how at the character she and Clint being the, the Avengers who hadn't had their own movies, they do a good job of setting up their motivation and what they're doing here. Yeah, you do. I think Natasha even more so. I mean, Clint spends half the movie as someone else. Right. Um, so Natasha even more so, especially with the scene with her and Loki when he's in the cage. Right. Um, you get a lot of information about her. They don't really over-sexualize her. Right. She's feminine to the extent that she needs to be feminine because that is part of how she manipulates. Right. 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 Um, but she is treated very similarly to the male heroes here. I think that's true. I think that she's not overly sexualized, which is great. Um, you know, her, her outfit or whatever isn't like, it's tight and it's leathery, but it's not like revealing. So is Clint's. Uh, yes. Clint's is more revealing. Clint's is such like, he's such like a muscle gay in that outfit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) when she is first introduced in iron man 2 uh it's a little bit more of that Mm -hmm. and even her fighting style is like it just seems to be like it's supposed to be a little bit more like provocative Mm -hmm. but i am glad that as um from iron man 2 to the avengers and then throughout the rest they drop that and uh i think that was for the best yeah i think that's good and i wonder i mean i i feel like i see a little bit of joss in that i think her her fighting style is actually very buffy to me it's very similar there's actually in the scene when she's introduced she's like tied to that chair yeah and she first of all some of the moves in that are like awesome and she flips the chair over but there's a point where she flips the chair over and breaks it and my mind was immediately (laughs) like that's a stake (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's right and it, like the fighting style was so buffy her to pick it up. and you learn when you're watching buffy you're like look for wood like where's she gonna find a stake now yes. <laughs> um and so like i mean that chair broke and i was like oh my god buffy's gonna use that as a stake to kill the vampires and then you're like wait this is, this is not the same thing wrong 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 franchise right. um but i think the the fighting style and like kind of that portrayal seem joss like yeah agreed um who we keep mentioning and and are not talking about problematic parts of Joss Whedon. Yes, and, and I, for sure. We don't need to get into that right no, now. No, we can acknowledge that they exist. We can. Okay, we were talking about the scene between Loki and Natasha. We were. And um, I wanted to also touch on something that I paid extra attention to this most recent time I watched it. Mm-hmm. When he is getting very angry at her um, and, uh, you know, he, he says to her, what are you now? And she says the thing about how she has the red and she wants to wipe it out, this and that. 
Um, he says this little speech that while he's talking, it cuts to um, clips of what the others are doing. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to note that. So he says, you lie and kill in the service of liars and killers. And as he says that, we see Tony and Bruce working on trying to figure out what Fury's been up to. Um, and we see Maria Hill and the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. And um, and that's you know, that juxtaposition of liars and killers when we're seeing these characters who we like and we're rooting for is, is mm-hmm. interesting. You pretend to be separate, to have your own code. And as he says that, pan up to Nick Fury, like looking down at the agents. Um, Nick Fury, who pretends to be separate, to have his own code from S.H.I.E.L.D. even, from the council that he reports to. So I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the, the rest of Loki's speech, something that makes up for the horrors but they are a part of you and they will never go away. And you see Captain America discovering S.H.I.E.L.D.'s plans. Yeah. Yeah, I also took great note of that speech. Um, It's really interesting because obviously S.H.I.E.L.D. as a whole is like very morally gray. Oh, yeah. Um, And in a way, it's almost like in this instance, like what they're doing is obviously good and important by, you know, saving everyone from Loki. Right. Um, and it's kind of like a lot of them are like sacrificing part of themselves and like whatever code they think they follow to, you know, step into this gray morality and, you know, or work with something that they, they might not be comfortable with to achieve something more important. So, yeah, on the topic of S.H.I.E.L.D. and on the, the moral gray area and on Nick Fury... Yeah, if this is the time to talk about Fury, sure. I have some things. I don't okay, so Fury is in Captain Marvel, but like it's obviously decades before this, right? Um so I've sense of that Fury and I was a little surprised to see Neo Fury <laughs> um striding <laughs> in with his trench coat in this movie. Yeah. Um and uh, it's I actually made a a similar comparison to something in the Captain Marvel episode, but Fury also has that like Dumbledore vibe to Mm. me where it's like ostensibly he's fighting for good. He's a good guy. Like he's trying to save the world all these times, but he's also really manipulative. Right. Um, not entirely trustworthy, not, you know, everything he's saying is not the whole truth. Um, so I find that, really interesting i mean he's definitely uh, like just from this movie alone i was like i don't think i like fury Mm, right you know he's and it's it's really interesting because he he obviously reports to this council who is possibly even more morally gray yeah well and you find out in a movie called captain america winter soldier that I'll tell you here um, that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been infiltrated by a group called HYDRA who were, they were the Nazis. Mm. So they are morally gray and they're infiltrated with people who are actually quite worse than that Mm. even. Interesting. Yeah, so go on. Yeah. Um, So he reports to this council who's, it seems almost worse. And he, it's it's interesting that how he, he does follow them in some ways and one in others, like when they tell him to blow up Manhattan, he won't do it. That's the line, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's, that's the one thing he won't do. Yeah. So he, he is, he, he does seem to be quite manipulative of the Avengers. I mean, there's even, 
he uses Coulson's death to manipulate them into doing what he wants. And yes, I mean, maybe someone, a fury apologist could argue that like Coulson almost told him to do that as he was dying. He said they need something to, you know, unite. Th- I think actually just that they need something too and died. Yes. Um, well, I want to talk to you about that after, but continue th- your thought. Yeah. So, I, I mean, like, that's like, really? Like, you're going to, you know, make up things about this guy's death that he had these Captain America cards in his pocket and stuff and, and use that to to motivate them. But at the same time, it's something that they need to do. You know, it's right. it's very tricky. Um, and the other thing is that he, he like, created the Avengers, right? Like he, he, that was his That's idea. That's his idea, the Avengers initiative. It was his yep. idea, and he calls on them and uses them, but he also created a weapon to neutralize them if necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a interesting character trait there. Um, that makes me, I mean, just all of this makes me not trust Fury even one little bit. Well, what's interesting to me too about Fury and his role in this team is that he is both the person who is like putting the team together, assembling. Um, and he's also the person who, so like that you would think they'd look to as a leader. Right. But then he's also the person that they are kind of united in not trusting. Right. And he is not, he's, if he's a leader, he's not, He's a would be a leader from outside the group. You know, he's not right. part of them. So it's it's hard to have a leader who's not within the group. That's right. Like you know? it's not really a leader, right? It's a it's he's like the a, direct, an orchestrator of sorts. Yeah. Um and the entire operation relies on him having trust in them, but they don't necessarily have to trust in him. And this comes mm-hmm. up in other movies too, that they are gonna do they're working toward the same goals as him, but that doesn't mean that they're on the same side as him. Yeah. And even yeah. in, in uh, Captain America even says that in this movie that they are going to move forward and do what needs to be done because it's what needs to be done. Right. Um, like despite- we're not doing this for you, Fury, or because you asked us to. Right. Okay. Um, so Coulson, mm. who you also saw in Captain Marvel, young yeah. Coulson. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of Coulson in the movie? Um, you know, not much. I mean, I don't know. I was kind of ambivalent about Coulson. Okay. He seems pretty neutral to me. Um, like, I guess I see what they want him to be. Yeah. To me, I think maybe it fell flat. A little bit. And that's fair. And and I know you also haven't seen where he's introduced in the other movies. Right. Um, but he it's not that they introduce him too much in the other movies. It was really, I think, Joss Whedon who took a liking to that character and said, oh, I'm going to make this character something else mm. and um, give him a first name, for example. Mm. <laughs> um, but I remember very vividly, actually, when I saw this um being affected by his death so almost manipulated huh. in the same way of like wow like i've been really enjoying all the scenes that he's been in and now he's dead it felt like a very mm-hmm. joss whedon thing too yeah and yeah it does the, i mean i didn't really care about his death right to be quite <laughs> honest that's why i'm asking you and inviting you into conversation oh wow because we have different views on it yeah um, um you know i think even st- 
is it Steve that says that? That like he shouldn't have been doing what he was doing. And he's kind of right. You know, like you see like, you know, he's like prompted to take action, which I guess is noble, but like he literally didn't know what the weapon he was using does. I know. He just, he he died. He didn't, it's not like he died and it was worth it. He didn't accomplish anything. And that I guess comes down to also different views of of ethics, right? And like what makes an action, right? Is it the consequence or is it? Right. I mean, I don't, he know. wasn't, I don't think it was necessarily no, it was wrong. Right. It was just dumb. He suffered the consequence. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that the way in which you, you and Steve are seeing this similarly as, as people who, well, you as a viewer who didn't know the character really, and then him mm-hmm. as the person who didn't know him, obviously um, it, it's different for Tony Stark who had more of a personal relationship with him. Um, and I happen to be very charmed by Coulson. I think the whole, I don't even know, even I don't know what this does and mm-hmm. you want to find out. I found it to be, to be charming and enjoyed that now was it was it um stupid yes but i i also do think it was it was heroic and Mm. that's just me but it is heroic i mean i think that that just like that is just the person who i am too like like a lot of things that most people would find heroic and brave like i just think are stupid (laughs) like why would you do that that's dumb that's, um, but I'm that's because I'm not brave. That's a fair <laughs> point of view. No, that's it, it's interesting. Um, Coulson's death, um, again, and I remember when I saw it, um, the first time I saw the movie in the theater, I felt very weedened by it because mm-hmm. Whedon has that thing that he's almost known for of killing characters in moments that you don't necessarily expect. Yep, we've experienced this, this as Buffy fans, and yeah. there is a death in serenity Mm. um which i'm not going to spoil um for you colleen or for anyone who might be listening who hasn't seen serenity because it's it's worth a watch um but it made fans very upset because it was like to what extent are you just killing off characters like for the shock value just for the sake of killing off characters right um now in this one though it obviously plays a role as you said before it plays into fury's manipulation so um, earlier in the film, Fury says when he's talking with the council to kind of defend his idea of the Avengers initiative, he says, these people may be isolated, unbalanced even, but I believe that with the right push, they can be exactly what we need. And you can tell that he's had conversations like this with Coulson and that Coulson mm-hmm. is a believer in the Avengers initiative and was in fact willing to risk himself uh, for it. So when he dies, he says to Fury, this was never going to work if they didn't have something to dot, dot, mm. dot. What did you think it was? Believe in? Yeah, I, I was also thinking of believe in. Um, I don't know what else it could be. Yeah, I fight mean, for, but- motiv- yeah, fight for, motivate them, um, to rally around, to unite them. You know, something yeah. like some, so obviously something along those lines. Yeah, there was. Um, I read something that uh, it was. I forget what in what context that was. Like maybe he was trying to say that they didn't have something to avenge. Oh, I guess which, that would be good. I think it's a good fan theory, yeah. but I, I don't think that that's really consistent with the film. I, I'm gonna say that it's probably believe in, and here's why: because after Fury uses 
the Captain America trading cards as kind of like that rallying, you know, uh, moment, um, which Maria Hill points out he was lying about that they weren't right. in his pocket. And I don't know. He, I guess he dips them in blood. Yeah, that's, that's what I was wondering. Like, did he like, did he like dip them in Coulson's dead body? I don't know. This is fury. Maybe. I, I don't know. That is, I like had an image of him doing that. <laughs> um, and also, by the way, that's like another example of Hill's role as just like someone had to point that out. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know. um, <laughs> and um, then he gives the, there was an idea speech mm. and, um, you know, as morally complicated as Fury is, um, I, I I do love this. To me, this is at the core of uh, these movies and what they mean. And, uh, you know, obviously, I used you, the you, title. Named, you named your podcast after it. Right, so. right, right. Well, because I think it works on a couple levels, too, because we're talking about, you know. Ideas. Right. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to keep that in. But um, so the speech, there was an idea. Stark knows this called the Avengers Initiative. The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people, see if they could become something more, see if they could work together when we needed them to fight the battles we never could. And he says Phil Coulson died believing in that idea mm-hmm. and still believing in that idea in Heroes. So that's what kind of makes me think that it, that's 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 something to believe in. Yeah. Um, that uh, it, it works. It does work. His manipulation is very effective. He is very effective. Um, all right. Um, and he says again a few other times later about how they needed the push, right? He, yeah. he uses that language yeah. of the push when he talks to Maria Hill, too. Maybe that's what Coulson was going to say. If they didn't have something to push. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I forgot that that was, no, no, no. That, that, that was the language I, of it. If they didn't have to, something to push them. To push them. Yeah. yeah no, be. it's not. That was a joke. <laughs> um, if they, Well, right. Because if he had said if they didn't have, it could have been, right? Like yeah, Or I, I guess I was thinking like without. without yes, without yeah, push. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, I just wanted to add this in there, too. You were talking about the cards. Like, did he actually go dip them in the blood? At one point, when when Steve even says Fury has the same blood on his hands as Loki does, I'm thinking oh, physically. like literally, like, because literally. he had to touch it. This, this is, like, so weird. Like, what what did Fury do? I want to know. <laughs> so, you know, and I, we're definitely not getting into the nitty-gritty of all of the plot here. Right. I don't think we And I, I don't think we need to, but... um. You know, it's after this that they're both coming together in this sense of, you know, feeling united in the thing to believe in um, and also realizing what no, like what Loki's next uh, plan is, because mm-hmm. in realizing that he was making this personal, um, that's what leads Stark to realize that full tilt diva Loki mm. is going to make a spectacle and he realizes that the Stark Tower is probably where they're going to try and create the portal. Right. I'm just going to throw in here that you have a lot in common with Loki. That I have a lot in common yeah. with Loki? Well, you saw you saw my cosplay, right? <laughs> I did. And before I watched this movie, I was like, okay, Tara, I don't know what you're doing. But he does look like you. You do look like. Um, and you're also a diva. It's true. Um, so I just think you have a lot in common. And you have you also have a helmet with like those horns. <laughs> I'm wearing it right it. now. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so um, now Hulk in the meantime, uh, Bruce in the meantime, had hulked out. Yeah, he did. Do you have any like Bruce Hulk thoughts? 
I do think the you get like undertones with Bruce Hulk of like addiction and relapse mm. um, in a big way. And I think that's a really, I just think it's an interesting thing. Like he definitely has the air of like a recovered addict. I would agree. Um, and you know, his, his Hulkifying like is like presented as relapse. Even when he comes back at the end um, on his little scooter, <laughs> someone says something that they don't say it fell off the wagon, but it's the someone says something that like sounds like I see language surrounding yeah. that. Um which I think is really interesting. I also have some questions about his pants. Hmm. Um, because so when he turns into the Hulk, his shirt rips off, his pants start ripping, and he becomes like twelve feet tall. Mm-hmm. And his pants are still on. <laughs> I know. They're the same pants. And I don't understand how that works. Like the waistline is still clearly intact. There's no way. Like I don't you, it just doesn't ma- it doesn't make any sense. And then when he then when he turns back into Bruce, he's naked. So ha- what I don't understand the pants. But that scene I I really like Harry Dean Stanton's um, yeah. you know, here's pants. I didn't think they'd fit you until you shrunk down to a regular size feller. <laughs> which yeah. he's right. As yeah. you were pointing out. Um and when he's just like, Are you an alien? Yeah, <laughs> you know, an alien. Like, um, it was great. I liked that. Yeah, it was funny. I liked that a lot. Um, I wanted to say something else about Bruce, and and I think that this could kind of even transition into more of a thematic question that I had for you mm-hmm. about like, so what does it actually mean to be an Avenger? And and that's something that I want to kind of trace as we go through these movies um, throughout the season of the podcast. So I want to look a little bit at the scene between Tony and Bruce that I alluded to earlier uh, when, when they're planning and, 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 you know, they're revealing some of their vulnerabilities to each other. And, and Tony um, even says to Bruce uh, that, that, you know, you'll be suiting up with the rest of us. And Bruce says, I don't get a suit of armor. I'm exposed like a nerve. I think that's mm-hmm. a really good line. Tony I think shares some really interesting insight here because he talks about his arc reactor and he talks about how um, it's, it's what's keeping him alive. And he says, the circle of light is a part of me. It's not just armor. And he says, it's a terrible privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce says, uh, Tony and Bruce are talking about how the Hulk essentially saved Bruce's life. Right. Cause yeah. Bruce had talked earlier about how he essentially, attempted suicide and the Hulk wouldn't let it happen. And mm-hmm. and he says, saved it for what? And Tony says, I guess we'll find out. So I think this scene had me thinking about this idea of to what extent, um, to what extent is being an Avenger a quote, terrible privilege? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's a good question. And it's, you know, it's interesting because part of it is what we've already talked about that like you are, being manipulated by this organization that you probably don't agree with, you know, you're having to sacrifice like a little bit of your own morality to, to work for this. But I think, you know, being an Avenger for a lot of them does, they do gain from it. We already talked about Natasha, right. Um, how she gains from it. Um, and I think it seems like even Steve, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but it seems like he didn't, really have much going on before this he had like no sense of purpose you know he was yeah you know, i breaking mean breaking 
punching bags in a gym late at night. Right. To to suddenly um, wake up and it mm-hmm. not be the 1940s. Right. Right. And to just be like, what is going on? Right. Right. Um, and even Tony, who he he's obviously doing fine without mm-hmm. the Avengers, but I think it does, you know, bring something out of him. Like I said, he makes that sacrifice at the end. Um, and even tries to like call Pepper right before it. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Um, it's nice. Um, so, you know, he, he maybe grows as a person a little bit Yeah, because of that. Bruce, I don't know what happens after this, but maybe he can learn to almost embrace the Hulk and control it because I think, so I got the sense for most of the movie that he has no control over anything when he's the Hulk. Like he doesn't know what he's doing and he can't mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. make conscious choice. But by the end of it, but he, at the end of it, he saves Tony. Um, right. So he's clearly not just a destructive force. Right. And maybe he can, like I said, I don't know what happens, but maybe he can use this to learn to grow to control it and actually have some good come out of it. Yeah. And where this franchise leaves off with his story is that essentially to he he has a, a reckoning with the fact that Banner and Hulk don't need to be, nor are they really two distinct people, mm-hmm. and and they, they essentially merge in yeah. the end because he this whole movie he calls the Hulk the other guy, right, 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 and it's that question too: to what extent is he? He'd he'd like us to think that he has no control, right? But then we do see at the end that he mm-hmm. can, so maybe he's not letting himself right he he wants right. to completely divorce he, yeah them. he wants that he wants to not be the same person right. um um i think also i guess this is just like a, a meta comment but I, I read that mark ruffalo was the first actor to like actually play the hulk like the cgi was his face oh okay mm-hmm. um which is interesting in in that sense that it you know bruce banner and the hulk are the same yes. person yes on a meta level too right yeah, like the Hulk even has Mark Ruffalo's like silly hair. Yeah. Which I really like. <laughs> uh, I think I might want Mark Ruffalo's hair. I, I, His hair is so nice. It is. In this movie especially. Yeah. We can't do an episode without talking about your hair. Uh, you're one to talk. You're also obsessed with your hair. Well. Um, you know what? We keep having these conversations about like each individual Avenger and we never mention Thor. We never mention. Thor. We never mention Thor. And it's. I think that <laughs> it says something because you're talking about like what each of them kind of gains or like how they grow from being Avengers. Like Thor seems so separate from the rest of them. Yeah. I don't know if he does. Yeah. And maybe on a meta level too, to, to the question of like, you know, Joss Whedon's comment earlier about like making sure everyone mattered and like balancing this cast maybe some of that, just that, Thor, it's that problem we even talked a little bit about when you and I were talking about Captain Marvel and Endgame of mm-hmm. like, if the person, the the hero who is so strong is there all the time, right? then it becomes like, well, couldn't they solve this really easily? Right. So um, there's a little bit of that problem with Thor. So they're kind of riding around him. Right. Kind of like getting rid of him here and there when they can. Right. You know. We went through earlier the introductions mm-hmm. of each of them, and Thor doesn't really get his own introduction. Right, that he way. just kind of shows up. Right, and we know that he is connected to Loki. Right, right? And, and you know that from the previous movie. If you've and seen just from the like movie. basic education, a little besides. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 
We didn't talk about like his line to Loki where he says, do I look to be in a gaming mood? Oh, oh and then um, Tony Stark with the dust of mother, no, you wear is her drapes. Oh, I thought that was so <laughs> funny. Um, the Shakespeare in the Park joke too. Yeah. I, I cracked up at that because Thor is like so, he's just like so pompous and like ridiculous. He talks exactly like Legolas in Lord of the Rings. Like that oh, is exactly funny. his voice and his like accent and his cadence. And it's funny because actually like Tony calls Clint Legolas at yes. some point in the movie, <laughs> um, which happened after I had written down, why does Thor talk like Legolas? <laughs> um, yeah, he just like has such an air about him that I'm like, shut up. You know, I know you're a god and you think you're better than everyone else, but yeah, I, I, really I don't getting old. Find Thor particularly likable in this movie. I, I don't. Yeah, I really like him in 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 Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and uh, well, by really like him, I think he's a really interesting character in Ragnarok and in Infinity War and Endgame. I'm interested in what's happening with him, but. Um, but but yeah, in this movie, it, I think he's the one for 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 me who, if he feels if one feels a little left out, yeah, it, it's him. It's like he only needs to be there because the main villain is Loki, right? Right, and, and conveniently he can take Loki and the Tesseract back to Asgard, right? Again. I'm trying to think, and he's this. and he can fill everyone in on like what Loki's doing and about the Chitauri, right? You know. Mm-hmm. And um, the, and the other thing I think you know what, that he's there for is, is Nick Fury points out like well if it wasn't for you we wouldn't have to be taking these measures because it's Thor's arrival at Earth in the movie Thor mm-hmm. um, that then brings Loki and this um, and the Destroyer which mm-hmm. is like the, you know the negative force that um, ends up causing you know issues here on Earth and now people on Earth are aware of these gods and these other planets mm-hmm. and the aliens and like that kind of thing. That's funny that we didn't talk about Thor. <laughs> yeah, and I think it, that it alone speaks to Thor's role in the movie. Yeah. I had um this time this last time too when I watched it, uh I noticed that you could cut it so that the first about 45 minutes, which is a TV episode length, would really kind of feel almost like a like structured like an episode of Buffy in a certain type mm. of way. Um, or, or just structured like TV because the, the the opening scene, like you get that booming voice talking about things like Tesseract and Shatari yeah. and you don't know where you are. And like, that's mm-hmm. a very like a TV show. Right. Opening. It's like I could, the first 45 minutes could be like a TV pilot it could. Like, where they're introducing each character and like giving like you a little bit of backstory. Like yes. it definitely works as a TV pilot. And then it would cut upon, I think, Thor's arrival mm. is like, yeah. And that cut. could be a great. Exactly. End of an episode. Yes, I think it's great. Sometimes I just watch that section. Um, I've seen, seen this movie tons of times, and I mm. love the whole movie. But I really like that that pilot episode, mm. um, and it's right around exactly like forty five minutes too, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, do you want to talk about how this movie is TV ish? I do want to talk about that. Maybe we should just. I don't. Should we finish up the thought about when we're talking about Avengers and like their role? So, so you were kind of talking about how to be an Avenger, right? You, you, you talked a little bit about what's gained from it and you talk a little bit about what's given up in that, like you're part of an organization, Mm -hmm. right? That like serves this, um, this director and this council, which is really interesting. They're not a band of heroes teaming up. Um, independently of their own accord yeah of a structured organization right however 
I think that what Avengers becomes is something that is, and it does become something much less tied to that and much more of what it means to be an Avenger is like not the job, mm. but like the moral compass, mm. the purpose. The first sort of self-identification of the Avengers happens in this movie when Tony um, is at the tower with Loki and mm. Loki asks him, what has he to fear? And Tony is like very flippant, like making the drink. And he's like, oh, the Avengers, that's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team, sort of like a team. I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. And he gives the head count of who they are. Um, I like how he calls um, Captain America a living legend who lives up to the legend, mm. which I like too. Because you were saying earlier, they yeah. learn something from each other. Right. Yeah, so I, I like I like that. That does a, a, a good sort of solidifying of who they are, who this team is. If we can protect the Earth, you can be damn well sure we'll avenge it. Mm. But what exactly does that mean? That's a good question because, like, wouldn't they be dead? <laughs> that was that was my question. Well, and so facetiously, I'm like, okay, right. So if you can't protect the Earth, that means the Earth is destroyed. Right. And you are destroyed. You are part of the Earth, FYI. The organization certainly is destroyed. Yeah. And the six of you, maybe not Thor, I don't know. Right. Um, But we'll make sure we avenge it. It almost, if I'm not going to be so critical of that line, I can look at it as maybe it's already like the seed of something, that the spirit of the Avengers is something that would transcend planets. Sure. It's a stretch. A little bit. I, I think. I think. Like, it's like we gotta <laughs> say this word in here somewhere. Yep. And Coulson died before he could say it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um. And they're in the big fight. How do we do this? We do this as a team. And you get the panorama shot that shows mm. all of them together. Super cool. Mm-hmm. They're working effectively here. Captain America seems to kind of take on that leadership role, giving them orders on who's going to do what. Mm-hmm. Um, great. Very long fight scene. Very long fight scene. But uh, accomplishes what it needs to do and shows them you know, working together as a team. Yeah. And then in the end, the the news footage is interesting, too, because you can see, okay, well, what were people's responses to this? And you see a lot of that initial, like, people with T-shirts and tattoos and mm-hmm. getting Tony Stark goatees. And, but then also the people who are asking questions and, like, was this kind of their fault that this happened in the first place? And right. It looks like some sort of politician is, you know, blaming them for it. Yes. Um, I did. It's going to come up later. Like, the ticker at the bottom of the news said, disaster averted. Which is really, <laughs> like, they're, like, showing, like, all of these shots of, like, everything destroyed. It's like, disaster averted. Which is true, but it's just really funny. Yes. Um, and there's a, a lot of destruction that yeah. is caused. And yeah. again, the later movies are going to really pick up that thread. Um, to what extent should the Avengers be held accountable for that destruction? Mm-hmm. But they do also show in this movie that they take a lot of measures to avoid civilian yes. casualties. Yeah. The council asks Nick Fury, was that the point of all this to make a statement? And he says, it's a promise. And then Maria Hill at the end too, kind of speaking for the audience, like, well, what happens, you know, yeah. what happens next, you know? Um, and, and Fury saying that they'll come back. And why is he sure about that? Because we'll need them to. Mm-hmm. So um, I, you know, it gets me. I feel very inspired. Like 
um, like inspired. I like the spirit of the Avengers. Um, the idea that the heroes are going to do what the heroes need to do. It's a nice thought. It's a nice thought because it doesn't often happen. No. I just want to point out that so when the the map starts like blinking when they find where the Tesseract is, um, it appears to be in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Oh. But then it's on Stark Tower, which is in Manhattan. True. So it's, I just wanted to point that out. So the other thread that we had started talking about, we were jumping around a little bit, was um, uh, I had brought up uh, Whedon being a, a TV writer and a mm-hmm. TV director. The only other film he had made before this one was Serenity, which was based, based on, on TV show. his TV show. So there's a sensibility that he brings to the writing, and we've talked about it a little bit already. But um, I wanted to know what other kind of thoughts that you had on on that aspect of it. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, so with a you know TV show versus a movie, you're more likely to have an ensemble versus like one protagonist um, because a TV show like wouldn't really be interesting for that long right. with only one protagonist. One thing I thought was interesting, so usually with a TV show, you often, like, especially with, like, a something that's, like, a really big ensemble cast, or even just, like, an ensemble cast where, in theory, all the main characters are equal, there usually winds up kind of being, like, one or two that pulls ahead, and it's often the first one introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if, like, like, in the L word the first characters introduced you can cut this out in the l word the first characters that are introduced are bet and tina and at at least for the first season or two like they feel like the main yeah kind of like the main couple um in lost the -hmm. first character you see is jack um and he winds up feeling like the main character yeah um and buffy the first character you see is darla uh, <laughs> definitely not no it doesn't um i'm gonna try in trinkets the first character i was just, I was just thinking about trinkets trinkets is a good example because it really like you would think that the three main friends are like right. equal main characters but the first character you see is elodie and that makes her feel like the main main one i was even thinking that watching that that show this week i was like is she even getting more screen time than the others right i don't, know. I don't think I, I don't really think so and like it's not like her plots aren't given the most importance no. or anything but she feels like the main exactly. character exactly yeah um so going back to the avengers it's interesting the first one introduced is natasha but she doesn't wind up feeling I, I would say tony feels like the main character yeah um so uh, that's obviously like different from a TV show, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, the way that you present an ensemble cast like that. Totally. Um, and it's interesting how they do make Tony seem like the main character without that little shortcut. For sure. And and again, if you're thinking of this as an installment in all of these movies that are all larger episodes of of the show, then right. he is our first one. That that's true. But um, but you're right in terms of looking at this movie on its own, and um. Yeah, and, and frankly, I think the reason why Tony Stark got more of that main character feel in this movie and got, you know, the hero moment, the, the I'm going, well, I mean, they all get hero moments, mm-hmm. but the I'm going to actually sacrifice myself right. moment and the arc of the growth, right? Because Steve says to him earlier, you're not going to be the person who does this. Mm-hmm. And then he does it, um, I think is because Robert Downey Jr. was like, you know, he got he, the most money. He got so much more money than anybody yeah. else. And he, you know, he was their guy. And then Iron Man was their like flagship right. hero. Yeah. I mean, like maybe I already kind of said this, but they do 
I think a better job of balancing a lot of main characters yeah. in the way Josh says that he wants everyone to feel important right. um, in a way that TV shows tend to do better than movies. Yeah. I think I, I don't really watch movies cause I like TV better right? for that. Like almost for that reason, because you know, I, I find in a movie like a standalone movie, there's like no real time for growth and development. And if you do, it's one character, like, you know, or as a TV right. show, you can have 10 years of, 12 people totally yeah yeah was also so so joss like when i got to the credits of this movie josh's name is all over them i mean it's like story developed by he has a co-credit it's written by it's directed by like it seems like when joss whedon does something he has to do everything it's yeah Mm. yes yes i've even heard like writers from buffy talk about how it's like josh just tells us what happens and we like write the lines yeah right you know yes it's, that's interesting that he seems yeah. to have more control, yeah. maybe for better or for worse. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think this movie is really successful. I think this movie is yeah. really tight. Right. Um, I think the writing is excellent. I think it's like the plot is tight. Mm-hmm. Um, the sequel struggles a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I still like that movie, but it, it's not quite the same. Mm. All right. So the big thing that I've been dying to talk about. Okay. And don't <sighs> peek at my notes. Okay. Okay. Don't peek at mine. All right. Um, we have the Avengers. I'm also, I have analogs for Loki and Fury as well. Oh, I have a lot. Okay. Um, <laughs> they're all stupid. And I wanted to talk about, I Sorry. wanted to talk about who their Buffy verse analogs would be. Yeah. I want you to start and then I will tell you mine. Okay. Um, I'm going to start with I'm going to start with the most obvious and easy one. Okay. Captain America. Uh, Riley. Um I'm pretty sure Buffy even calls Riley Captain America at some point in the series. Mm-hmm. Um obviously they are both in the military. They are both um like brave to the point of being stupid. <laughs> um, uh, I would also um you know t- second place for Captain America, Kendra. Mm, okay, interesting. Uh, and even Wesley. Tell me more. Uh, Wesley, like early Wesley. Okay. Who's like very much like, I'm a watcher. I report to the council. Like, this is the way things are supposed to be. This is the order of things. This is the hierarchy. Okay. Um, and Kendra, because of like emotional discipline? Yeah, very similar. Like that she has like that kind of like soldier's mind. Yeah. Um, where, where that's all she is. Yeah. Um, really interesting. I hadn't thought of those. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. That's the yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Who's your Captain America? Oh, we could go one for one. Yes. Okay, I like that. Yeah. Um this is gonna sound really so obviously Riley is the first person who comes to mind. Right. I'm gonna make an argument for Buffy. Hmm. I don't like it, but please tell me. Um well, in making my argument for Buffy, I have to reveal one of my others though. Okay. Which is that Buffy Reveal your other, and then I'll we'll, we'll okay. do that one next. Buffy is Steve and Tony. Oh, okay. So I also have Buffy for Tony, but okay. can t- p- finish your Buffy for Steve. Um, that that's the part of Buffy who is like the principled, like I'm doing this for a reason. Mm-hmm. Part of Buffy, the leader part of Buffy, that I'm going to make the speeches. Yeah part of Buffy Mm -hmm. and I think that's only one aspect of her character right that we get 
tell me more about your Buffy Tony comparison. So I have that too. Yeah. So in the way, in the sense that they're like the hero, right. You know, um, I actually, in some ways see Tony as a little bit of the leader of the Avenger group, um, in the sense that it's like, I know what we need to do. Right. Like there's always Buffy is like, I know exactly like I figured out the bad guys plans. I know what we need to do to stop them. And that's kind of what Tony does in this movie too. Right. Um, and then also the, the sacrifice, of course, there's even yes. Tony falling like from through the portal and Buffy jumping off the scaffolding is, is quite yeah. similar, I think. Yeah. Um, so like that even looks similar. Yeah. I wonder if that was on purpose, Joss. Um, <laughs> oh Yeah. Yeah. I forgot. Um, Here we are talking about it. And I forgot for a second. I was like, yeah, it's his imagery. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah. that whole, you know, again, and, and we get seven seasons of development on right. Buffy. And even though we get a ton of movies of development on these characters here, it's, it's still it's not quite the not same even amount. Close, yeah. So, um, I think too, there's the, the part of Buffy that comes out in episodes like the Yoko Factor where it's like i don't like i don't need you guys yeah right right um that of course we know that her and that's the the steve part right is that her relationships with them and understanding of them and her thoughts her belief that each and every one of them matters to the team Mm -hmm. which is something we get more out of steve later in the series but like there's that but then there's also the part where she's like i know what's best for her it's her um conversations with dead people her inferiority complex about having a superiority complex. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, you who, who, who you do you have you want next? me to go next? Yeah, you go next. Um, I'll do this. I, I like gave a hint. I foreshadowed this before. Okay. But um, Bruce yeah. as Willow. I have Bruce as Willow too. Oh my God. I wasn't sure if you were going to gonna go there, but because maybe the obvious is Oz, but. Yeah, no, I even, I like wrote Oz on the side, but like, I thought you were going to say Oz. <laughs> no, no, I think um, that's too obvious. I think it Willow is, is too better. obvious. Willow is better for, for a number of reasons. So like, obviously they're both like the super smart one who can like find anything on a computer. Um, And then there's the thing I was talking about before with the analogy to addiction. Yeah. Where Hulk's transformations and Willow's magic are both, um, Willow's obviously like much more explicitly so. Right are um kind of kind of be seen as metaphors to addiction and the sense of and again more time with willow over seven seasons to develop but the sense that she has um she has another part of her yeah she she has uh, the other guy yeah a dark like dark, dark willow, willow and the other guy yeah are yeah and i think even so like you i think you start seeing this from willow in season seven but i think if you were to see like future willow she would probably be very similar to the Bruce we see at the beginning of the movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like almost like trying to like avoid temptation, yeah. like just doing whatever she can for the world. Yeah. Um, without like risking, I'm going to try it. and help other people now yeah. because I've done damage. Right. And I don't want to lose control and yeah. flay someone again. Right. <laughs> and maybe with Willow in chosen when her hair turns white. Yeah. We get a little bit of that Bruce, like, you know, his body is the Hulk, but he's wearing the glasses and the cardigan and mm. looks more like Mark Ruffalo, right? You almost like that merging of the two. Yeah. 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 Cool. Glad we cool. agreed on that Me one. Me too. Okay. I'm almost disappointed, Four. actually. Oh, 
Okay, no, Thor. not Thor. Thor, I really struggled with. Um, I think <laughs> so. Here's my first one is um, Anya's troll because they both have that big hammer. Yeah, that's that's good. Obvious. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then so, and speak funny, like you know, speak in a Shakespearean type way. Right. Um, I was trying to think of a Buffy character that has that sense of like, I'm better than you, and I'm like deigning to your level right now um and i think none of these are like really good comparisons i can maybe like glory or the master you know they have that vibe but i don't think i don't really associate thor with them yeah i mean i thought glory too and then god connection but that's pretty much it i mean it yeah like i i was trying to even think of like a more quote-unquote good character that has that kind of attitude and I don't know that I do. I, I have I, an argument for Anya. Okay. Um, the displaced kind of nature. Mm. The, I don't get your references. Mm. I'm not from this time yeah. or this place. Um, comic relief. Yeah. And Anya has a little bit of, when we first meet her, that like, I'm too good for yeah. this. I'm, I'm 1100 years old give me a freaking beer yeah. like that yeah you know or like um like suddenly i'm a 16 year old girl yeah and i'm flunking math right yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah i think that's a, that's actually a good one that's the closest i could get it's not perfect yeah but no but that's a good one okay <laughs> clint um so i struggled with this one too but i th- was thinking angel wow okay okay um so for one thing they have similar pointy hair that much is true um and so like i kind of this is a a little bit of a stretch but the way clint was like kind of brainwashed for a lot of the movie into doing evil like almost like see as angelus you know how it's like a like a different character it's like (laughs) you have this character doing evil things but it's excused right um because it's like not really him yes um and then they're both like kind of just like surly and like <laughs> you know um yeah that's the best they came up with. i'm en- i'm enjoying this perspective because that's i went in a really different direction okay good i'm gonna make an argument that clint is the xander oh interesting i have a different xander thank you okay continue my argument for clint being the xander and this is i i, I foreshadowed this earlier mm-hmm. loki says you have heart oh xander's the heart xander's the heart right yeah. now okay obviously it's a weak connection yeah but he uh like xander is ordinary mm-hmm. hanging out with a bunch of very powerful people yeah in the later movies we see that even natasha is above his level mm-hmm. in terms of really what she brings to the team mm-hmm. at least in my opinion um and i and i think that that's supported by the text um that he not to get too much into what happens in the sequel but there's a great line that natasha says as a joke pretending that we need this guy really brings the team together (laughs) and that's again and i think that's also joss whedon writing that in a meta type of way Mm -hmm. where he's the one that's like okay like what are you bringing to the table xander right right but we also know that joss whedon loves xander Mm that Xander is a piece of him. And I think we see in the sequel that Clint is a piece of him too. Mm. Cause Clint is struggling between 
his job and his family, mm. which is something that Joss Whedon talked about right. with in making that movie. So, um, in a harsh way, uh, Clint and Xander are kind of the useless, annoying ones. <laughs> I mean, an easy argument. Um, but I, you know, not to be entirely hard. I, I will be entirely hard on Xander any day of the week. I'm yeah. not a Xander fan. I no, don't think nor I. my dislike for, for uh, Xander is much, much stronger than the kind of like apathetic mm. uh, feeling I have toward Clint. Yeah. Um, but that sense of like they're the ordinary guy who's in the group and they're bringing their heart. Yeah. There it is. I think that's a good one. Okay, Natasha. I got nothing for Natasha. I, I, I honestly couldn't. The only like she fights like Buffy. She does. But, fight I, like I, but I wouldn't say she's like Buffy. No. Uh, sorry. I, for Natasha, I have Angel. Okay. The only reason being that she is on the thing that she is fighting for is like the redemption. That, yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. It's, yeah. That's where it breaks down. Yeah. But that, that that's, that's one similarity. One similarity. Yeah, yeah for sure. Fury? The Watcher's Council. <laughs> um, if for all the reasons I've already said, you know, yeah, like a controlling organization that is morally gray, that the the people they're controlling doesn't actually need at all. Um, yeah, I'd almost like love to see an Avengers. Maybe this happens. I don't know. Without the, Shield, yeah, yeah, like the Avengers, like breaking away from shield yes. the way buffy did with the council yes um uh, also a special shout out to um uh fury as xander because of the eye patch <laughs> oh that's great <laughs> that's it uh that's not that that's the it. only way in which he's xander but yeah like i uh have a very strong fury watchers council i think that makes a lot of sense i had written down giles not like like yeah he's so not giles that was my train of thought too it was like okay like function of giles but not at all and that's how i wound up at the watcher's council yeah right like giles yeah. he reports to a council right but yeah, exactly he's not unlike giles he doesn't put himself on the same level as the avengers right and right? like like giles gets in the thick of it all the time yes in a way that like watchers aren't really supposed to yes um, exactly mm -hmm. he's like what giles is more meant to be within the structure of right he's a watcher right he's what a watcher should be right but that's yeah. not, that's not what giles is you could say he's like a little like early wesley in that sense but hmm. or it's like what's the name of the main watcher that we see oh god um quentin travers yeah travers quentin yeah yeah quentin travers quentin travers yeah, yeah that's yeah, who yeah. furious rooney mara or mara rooney <laughs> um yeah quentin travers yes yeah. Thankfully, I was like gonna feel like I was gonna move my Buffy cred if I yeah you, you were uh, Loki. Okay, so I have a lot of I have so many characters written down for Loki. Um, I only have one. Okay, why don't you say you're one? Spike. Oh, Spike is one of mine. Okay, it had to be. Yeah. So, so I have for similar reasons Spike and Warren. Ooh. Um, okay. where it's just like, I'm like a sad boy and like, I want to hurt people because I'm adopted and like, you know, for, for Loki and Warren is like, you know, because everyone cares more about my brother than me right, and right, Spike right. is, I don't even know. Cause Drusilla left. Um, right. Right. It's right, right. like a sad boy turned evil. Yeah. Um, that, that. 
my comparisons with Spike, if if um, I'll jump in here for a second, was more on. I'm thinking like season four Spike. He's evil, mm. but he is a trickster. Like he's courting chaos. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's tricking. He's trying to turn them against each other. Right. Um, he people have made an argument for. Loki to not necessarily be in control of everything he does in this movie that it, since he's serving Thanos right. and to what extent is Thanos um, e- even using th- perhaps the scepter on Loki like there's mm-hmm. no textual evidence for that but it's a theory but um, almost reminding me of like Spike kind of like uh, also agreeing to work for other people mm-hmm. um, if it means that he can cause drama for the Scoobies, right? Like, yeah. I'll, I'll work with Adam because, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. So anyway. Um, I also, um, I have Glory here too. And I think Ooh. more Loki more so than Thor because it's just like a completely psychotic god. And a diva. And a diva. Yeah. Glory's a huge diva. Oh my god. Imagine if Loki had like little hobbits with leprosy. Oh. Like making up nicknames for him all the time. That would be great. That would be so great. Um, I have two like out, out of universe things to say about Loki too. Um, number one, he looks like a Malfoy, oh, yeah. especially in that scene in Germany when he has like that scarf on and everything. Right, right, right. Just, like, That's looks true. Like a member of that family. I also get like a a vibe of Scar from The Lion King from yes. Loki. Oh, I was He's, just thinking about this earlier. Yeah, really? and Thor is Mufasa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. Yes, Loki is very Scar. Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, I also oh just a back to glory real quick. He has a um, glorious purpose. <gasps> That's right. Oh, and also about so I was trying to think of also the way he like turns people like yeah. like a vampire. Yeah, that's true. You know, into, oh, interesting. Like, one of them. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Colson okay. is my Xander. Wow. Oh, you don't like Colson. So, I don't hate him as much as Xander. <laughs> but, I mean, so like I think so the scene where he like finds that weapon and like attacks Loki with yes, it, something that's cool. like the the good the good side of Xander. Yes. You know, you could totally see Xander doing that exact thing. Agreed. Um, and dying for it. Uh, especially at the, like after he does shoot Loki and says, so that's what it does. Like it's that's, a very, that's true. it's a very Xander line and it's like a very Xander thing to do. Um, in terms of, so I was trying to think of Buffy characters with the same function, like where their death like rallies the group to doing something. I couldn't really like maybe Jenny Oh, maybe Kendra. I'm not really the, you know. Um, yeah. In terms of function, so, that's an interesting connection. Yeah. 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 But in terms of function. like personality, I'd say like the good side the, of the Xander. The good side of Xander. I can see that. Like the, yeah. the, the clean Xander in, uh, <laughs> what is that episode called? In uh, The Replacement? Yes, The Replacement. Well, and in fact, I, you know. Not to get too into Buffy, but I would have kind of preferred that type of ending for Xander if Xander had died yeah. doing something like that. Yeah. Um, but he does lose an eye, I guess so. He does lose an eye. Um, okay, so you had a Coulson. Wait, do you have a Maria uh, Hill? No, because she has no personality. Okay, then who else do you have? Um, I have stupid ones. Selvig is, you know, that doctor that like Spike forces to remove his chip. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> perfect. Selvig. Oh my God, that's great. Um, 
the giant like snake things at the battle at the end <laughs> that are flying through the air. Those are the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> Um, I tried to think of, I have Pepper and Hill written down here. I was trying to think of some for them, but I, I couldn't. You know, my argument might be, because I didn't have a Riley, maybe Pepper is Riley. I was I was going to say Pepper could be a Riley as like the the like relationship of the hero that like doesn't matter. Yeah, but she, know? I mean, and, and she, I think she, she matters. I mean, in this movie, right, not so movie much, but matter. I mean, she, the thing is like, she also... Uh, you know, she basically runs Stark Industries mm-hmm. and like has that whole part of she does a job similar to Tony, but not at all in the way that he does it. Right. Yeah, so sure. kind of like and like without and super like not that uh, yes, right. and without Tony doesn't really have superpowers. He just has a suit, but yeah, but, right. yeah, without the enhancement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And and then at the end, when they're, like, sending Loki home, he's the only one wearing a mask. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, on that topic, the Fury talking to all of the people on the council, like, looks like a Zoom call. It does. <laughs> oh, my God. That's really funny. Um, oh, here, this doesn't fit in your episode, but I just thought it was interesting. Loki makes that speech about freedom at the beginning, mm. about how, like, you people don't actually want freedom. Yeah. And it reminds me of Aunt Lydia from The Handmaid's Tale, oh, okay. which is a speech I think about a lot. She talks about um, freedom from and freedom to. Cool. Um, she's talking about, like, how, like, in the universe of The Handmaid's Tale, like, before you had freedom to, and now we are giving you freedom from. Wow. Okay, that's interesting. It's, right? It's yeah. like a, a very, like, I, maybe like a... It's just like a very villainous Absolutely. <laughs> type of thought and speech. But yeah. I thought that was really I, I think about Aunt, Aunt Lydia a lot. Um, the, my final note is uh, Natasha's cell phone that she has at the beginning of the movie is so, like, it's very 2012. And then the rest of the technology in this movie is, like, insane. Yeah. And it's just, like, so out of place. It is a really because and then yeah. there's another scene shortly after where you see Tony's cell phone and they're very different phones. I don't. Oh yes, Tony's, Tony's phone, phone is like something that like we can, like in real life for us like we're decades away from something like that. Yes. But Natasha's phone is like firmly in 2012. Really interesting point. I didn't even think of that. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> that's my last note. I love it. So is that going to do it for the Avengers? I think that's going to do it for the Avengers. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. Me too. Thanks for coming here. <laughs> to my house. Again. Again. <laughs> if you enjoyed this conversation about the Avengers and you're excited to hear more about season two of There Was an Idea, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for We Are Groot, a discussion of 2015's Guardians of the Galaxy.
I may be recording, but at least I'm still cute. I may be cute, but at least I'm still recording.